It's February 12th. It was when this message was preached and these scriptures were read. And what was going on? The Super Bowl, President's Day coming up, Valentine's Day, of course. And what I preached on didn't have much to do with any of those, certainly not the Super Bowl. The sermon is uh, based on the gospel reading from Matthew about making uh, making peace or, or reconciling with a brother or sister who may, who you believe and remember has something against you while you're making a gift at the altar. And as I explained in this, in the first part of the sermon, as I was, you know, spent a lot of time in preparation, thinking and reading that, you know, this is a huge subject and there are many, you know, to try to, to do one sermon on it would ignore so many pieces of it. And as it is, I did decide to do a, a three-part sermon series today. Uh, this is the first one for uh, February 12th. Uh, even three, you know, is just going to barely scratch the surface. You know, and I was uh, ordained. One of uh, the charges that my home church minister gave me was... Uh, what you talk about is more important than what you say. Speaking to a future preacher, you know, just ordained preacher and pastor. And I've always remembered that uh, among the other two parts of his charge to me. And, and that's, maybe that's what I'm hoping for, that, uh, that uh, people will remember that at least I broached the subject of reconciliation. It's something for us to talk about in the church if not and in our and in our country uh, and certainly in our international relations and and in our world so this is just a beginning and a beginning attempt um, to lift up thoughts about reconciliation so before going any further before uh, uh, letting you listen to the scriptures read by my wife this Sunday uh, Beth Please join me in the spirit of prayer if, if you're able to, if you're not driving or something. Merciful and great God, we give you thanks for your word, which leads us, guides us, challenges us, comforts us, shows us your way, gets us to think and to feel and to believe. So we humbly ask that you move your spirit as we listen wherever we are, whenever we listen that we may find ourselves drawn closer to you and in power to live a little bit more like you want us to live in this world, shining your light and letting your will guide our steps towards reconciliation too, which is hard work. In Christ's name, we ask this blessing. Amen. Our podcast continues with the service. The Old Testament lesson is Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 15 through 20. This, part, this is part of Moses' long final speech to his people before he dies, and they go into Canaan under the leadership of Joshua. Moses said, See, I have set before you today life and prosperity, death 
and adversity. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I am commanding you today, by loving the Lord your God, walking in his ways, and observing his commandments, decrees, and ordinances, then you shall live and become numerous, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you are going to possess. But if your heart turns away, and you do not hear, but are led astray to bow down to other gods and serve them, I declare to you today that you shall perish. You shall not live long in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to enter and possess. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Choose life so that you and your descendants may live. Loving the Lord your God, obeying him, and holding fast to him, for that means life to you and length of days, that you may live in the land of the Lord, that the Lord swore to you, that the Lord, excuse me, that the Lord swore to give to your ancestors, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. This ends a reading from Deuteronomy. Our next and final passage is our gospel lesson. We have been hearing from the Sermon on the Mount, and today we hear more. Our passage is um, Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 through 37. As usual, Jesus has some very challenging things to say. <clears throat> Jesus said, You have heard that it was said to those of ancient times, You shall not murder, and whosoever murders shall be liable to judgment. But I say to you that if you are angry with a brother or sister, you will be liable to judgment. And if you insult your brother or sister, you will be liable to the council. And if you say, you fool, you will be liable to the hell of fire. So when you are offering your gift at the altar, if you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, Leave your gift there before the altar and go, and be reconciled to your brother or sister, and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser when you are when you are on the way to court with him, or your accuser may hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard, and you will be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. <coughs> You have heard that it was said, You shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to go to hell. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you, 
that anyone who divorces his wife, except on the grounds of unchastity, causes her to commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of ancient times, you shall not swear falsely, but carry out the vows you have made to the Lord. But I say to you, do not swear at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let your word be yes, yes, or no, no. Anything more than this comes from the evil one. Here ends the reading from the Gospel and the scriptures for today's service. May God give us the wisdom we need to think more about what we heard and to grow as people of light and grace. Thanks be to God for this God's holy word. Exploring reconciliation. What is reconciliation? Why should you, me, and St. Peter's be involved in it? And how does reconciliation happen? Or how can we approach it if there are more than one or two answers to that question? Well, that's a lot of questions for a plain old sermon. So guess what? It's been a long time, but given these many aspects of reconciliation, we're going to have a mini-sermon series on the subject. Reconciliation seems to be a fitting topic these years. I do not want to be jumping the gun on the upcoming message, who, as in who should be reconciling with whom, but in lifting up a definition or an example where reconciliation is needed. Well, you and I do not have to think long to find one. Did we not just see the State of the Union address or know someone who's in the middle of a conflict with friend, family member, or employer? How about that this is Black History Month? So what is reconciliation? I do not know Latin, but it seems like in the word reconciliation, there's the Latin word concilio and the prefix re. They combine to mean something like coming together again, reconcilio. And the Oxford Dictionary says reconciliation is the restoration of friendly relations the action of making one view or belief compatible with another. An instance of the latter is in the phrase, he aims to bring about a reconciliation between art and technology. The restoration of friendly relations, meaning there were disagreements that separated or divided persons, groups, or even institutions. Well, that tells me one thing at least about reconciliation. It is work. Work many folks prefer to put off, expect the other party to be responsible for, and which is often hard and humbling. The Book of Worship of the United Church of Christ has an order for the reconciliation of a penitent person. So that's about one's broken or hurting relationship with God or others. In the introduction to that part, the writers say it is the privilege and responsibility of Christians to intercede for one another, 
share mutual concerns, forgive one another's sins with God's help, and assure one another of God's forgiveness when Christians are alienated from God or neighbors. This order, the order of the service, the order of, it offers the freeing power of forgiveness, of confession, and absolution. And then it goes on to say, it is recommended that this order be used only after the one leading it has had adequate opportunity to establish a relationship with the person seeking reconciliation. Now, this is not just a private, like a, a priest and a parishioner confessional thing. It is in the context of, of, of worship and not just between two or three people. And there is, so there's corporate confession. Everyone who's present, there's a corporate confession, a pastoral conversation, a prayer of the penitent person, assurance of God's pardon. There's a little bit more, and it ends with a passing of the peace. So at this level in church, for individuals seeking reconciliation, we find an emphasis on confession and forgiveness. And there is in the book an order for corporate reconciliation too. Retaining the core of confession and pardon, the occasion for this kind of gathering may be one related to communal or national or global strife, including specific events or difficulty. The theme of that service is divine grace, which, t which, it tells us, makes reconciliation possible. Divine grace. So what does this tell us about what, what reconciliation is then? As a Christian practice, confession, forgiveness, and God's grace are all essential to us. But how often is forgiveness a needful aspect of reconciliation? Those seeking reconciliation from God need them, but what of those Christians not seeking spiritual reconciliation at, at, at that juncture, but that between human beings or groups that they represent? Does forgiveness need to play a part? The question makes me think of that song by Garth Brooks, We bury the hatchet, but leave the handle sticking out. If forgiveness is part of a definition of reconciliation between people, how do you forgive someone who isn't all that sorry or who you can't actually engage with? To answer this question, or at least to try to, Yale theologian Miroslav Vox spoke to two experts, Robert Enright, runs in the family, a professor of education psychology at the University of Wisconsin-Madison, so Robert Enright, and a leader in the scientific study of forgiveness, uh, so that's also Robert, Robert Enright, and Laura Davis, who is the author of several books about estrangement and reconciliation. So Enright and Davis say that forgiving someone who is unrepentant is absolutely possible. In some ways, it's easier to define forgiveness by what it is not. And Wright says, forgiveness is not excusing what the other did. That behavior was wrong, is wrong, and will always be wrong. Both Enright and Davis say that forgiveness, though, exists separately from reconciliation and also from accountability. 
which is why forgiving someone doesn't always require, they say, an apology or even their participation. Enright said, a reconciliation is a negotiation strategy between two or more people trying to make their way back together to mutual trust. Enright this, then says that forgiveness, however, is, a, is a, often a one-way endeavor. Put another way, forgiveness might be a step on the path to reconciliation, but you don't have to traver, traverse the full route if you'd prefer not to. So you, speaking for myself, even if forgiveness isn't required, it strikes me that an apology maybe should be required, possibly a mutual apology. Maybe it depends on the circumstances. But I do understand that you can forgive someone who isn't interested in forgiveness. You know, uh, it doesn't require mutual forgiveness to forgive someone. Those familiar with the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous might think reconciliation is well described, if not defined, in what is called the ninth step. The ninth step is making amends to those people who were wronged by the person now in recovery. It does require the offending person to personally own up and take responsibility for the things and actions that created the rift in the relationship, for the damages caused, and to give evidence that he or she is a changed or at least changing person. And that can surely be part of biblical reconciliation, personal or corporate. And we see that reflected, among others, in the story of Zacchaeus, the converted tax collector in Luke 19. You know, you know what the story of Zacchaeus also is. He, you know, he has this conversion experience. It's a story where a change of heart with evidence that his heart was changed, bear fruit that befits repentance, took evidence in the form of reparations to the taxpayers he had um, taken advantage of. Are reparations part of the reconciliation process? I suggest they may be, but today I would not put them in the category of what is reconciliation. It might be more in the how, but we'll see as the next couple of weeks unfold. But I did want to preach on the why of reconciliation also, in addition to working on a definition. We've already heard from the book of worship of our denomination the connection between the Lord our God, confession, and the forgiveness of our sins. The sins which, of course, created and maintained the busted relationship we have with God if our relationship is busted, personally and as a group. As Christians, we have a foundation for why we seek reconciliation in the cross of Christ, validated by the resurrection. So it's not one of our scriptures this morning, but as I was working on this sermon, it came to me that it's an apt one to still fit in. We may see it during the sermon series now that I'm committed to that, but we can find our why this concerns us partly in this saving reconciling work Jesus did for us and for the world. In 2 Corinthians 5, Paul wrote, So if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. Everything old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. 
All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting the message of reconciliation to us. So we are ambassadors for Christ, Paul said. God is making his appeal through us. We entreat you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. As God, through Jesus, did what was needed to cleanse us of our sin and restore a right relationship with God, so we, God's people, are also to engage in A, spreading that message, message as ambassadors, and B, be agents, channels, doers of reconciliation between peoples out of our love for them, which comes from God's love for us and others that God gives us. Jesus. You've been waiting to hear from Jesus today, I know. Well, he said, after condemning this nursing of grudges expressed in insulting words and destructive emotion, so, he said, when you're offering your gift at the altar, so it's a context of worship, if you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, Leave your gift there at the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother or sister, and then come and offer your gift. And as I pointed out to the, the Sunday school earlier today, it's not that you remember you have something against someone. You remember that somebody has something against you. So why do we hear this? Why would Jesus say that? Well, first... Let's remember the verses just before that command about calling the person whom we'd like to kill instead of killing them. He says, you shall not murder. But I say to you, there's more to this than that. Uh, don't call them names. Don't even get angry with them. If we are guilty of leveling, belittling insults, expressing our long-nursed bitterness, as Jesus condemned in the opening verses Beth read, that's bad news. So if we remember that our brother or sister is hurting because of our verbal attacks, let alone physical approximations to murder, we've been condemned by Jesus out of his love for those whom we dumped on. We are guilty of not unserious offense, and we're called to get right with the person we've hurt, the person for whom Christ also died even if they do not believe in Christ. doesn't mean he didn't die. Frederick Bruner is enlightening and helpful in pointing out the depths of why. Why should we care about reconciliation? In this gospel context of getting mad and yelling at our brother or sister, originally meant to be a Christian brother or sister in the faith, but not limited to them. Bruner refers to another scholar who said, what is new in this command to not be angry or denigrating, but reconciling. What is new in this command is that beyond the law that protects life 
you shall not commit murder, is that beyond the, is beyond the law that protects life, Jesus now protects persons. Another wrote that God's will is injured in every angry confrontation. Calling others abusive names in Jesus' time was not thought to be very evil. Jesus, on the contrary, says name-calling deserves the severest judgment. Words that take from persons their honor before other persons. If you do this in public before other people, that deserves this judgment. They're placed under God's wrath of judgment. Keep listening, because they might think, what? And those are just words, not inhumane actions, which also damage people, innocent or not. So Bruner opined, Jesus is the classic advocate of human rights at the deepest levels. We do not really know details about hell. The word Gehenna, from Greek, the word Gehenna coming from, comes from a burning garbage dump. So it's a picture image that Jesus uses here. And Bruner says, one thing we do know is that behind Jesus' picture words, there is some kind of awful judgment for those who hurt other people. The holiness of God is at war with all bitterness and hatred and hurting. God's wrath is God's war of love against everything that unnecessarily hurts others. The wrath of God, he said, is the proof of the love of God. God's love is a love that is not merely sentimental, for it grapples with inhumane forces. And so Jesus teaches us not to nurse grudges and resentments, but also that if we do not try to seek reconciliation with the people we have hurt or who have something against us, we come to the altar in vain. Going back to Frederick Bruner, he talks about when we put God first, as Scripture teaches, we find ourselves putting people first, because that's what God did in giving us his Son. And he says, and this kind of makes me think of Felix getting his Bible, when Christians decide to put Christ and his word first, we find that he bids us put the other person first. We should be social, Bruner said, you know, involved in the lives and worried about the lives of others because, he said, we are evangelical, small e, meaning we should care about other people because we're people of the good news, which is how I interpret the word evangelical, people of the good news. And that goes for the why beyond broader, or behind broader reconciliation. Putting God first, putting others first. And if there are problems that we have with others, can we somehow resolve them? In closing, Dr. Bruner suggests that the church today is surrounded with a third world in all three worlds that has a host of legitimate grievances against the ancient and modern materialisms of the church and the so-called Christian West. One thinks of working people everywhere, he said. The church that makes Jesus Lord will make the reconciliation with these historically neglected sisters and brothers first. Social reconciliation is the order of the day, end quote. 
But now I'm crossing into the when and the who. And that's next week. Amen. Well, I hope you found something challenging and interesting to ponder. Until the next time, when, uh, if you get to tune in the next time when I talk about some more aspects of uh, exploring reconciliation. Thank you so much for listening. May God bless you. May God bless your loved ones. And may God bless your week. Amen. Like what you've heard? Hit subscribe to follow and get updates on our newest additions to The Red-Headed Preacher. We'd love it if you'd give us a five-star rating and review wherever you listen to podcasts. You can find us online under most social media platforms by typing St. Peter UCC Skokie in your browser. Donations are much needed and very welcomed. You can donate to us by going to paypal.me backslash St. Peter UCC Skokie. This information and more can also be found in the show notes wherever you listen to our podcast. Thank you so much.